Praise the Lord. I don't always feel like I'm very patient with uh, my two different personalities, uh, especially when they are together and you have whiplash going back and forth between one personality and the other. Uh, and um, I do want to make a clarifying statement from Sunday when I said, I'm ready to go home and meet the Lord. That was not anything imminent. <laughs> that was, I'm ready for the rapture to happen and to, and to be called up. Uh, I got a text from my wife that said, I'm going to kill you myself uh, for you saying something like that. So I just wanted to clarify that uh, I'm not looking forward uh, to dying anytime soon, uh, but I am looking forward uh, to going to heaven. I'm ready to blow this popsicle stand and uh, spend the rest of eternity worshiping with you uh, on those streets of gold. Uh, tonight, uh, we're going to kind of continue the little mini lesson that we had on Sunday around kingdom principles and hopefully dive a little bit deeper into you know what it really means to be a servant uh, and to... Uh, really exemplify the crux or the core of what being a Christian is and behaving Christ-like. And so if we look at Mark 10, verse 43, we'll start. It says, But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest, shall be the servant of all. And, you know, we often think about, you know, who's the greatest? You may hear the goat, and you may say, who would want to be a goat? Well, that stands for greatest of all time. You may have heard Tom Brady referred to as the goat of football, depending on what era you come from. The greatest basketball player may be Michael Jordan or LeBron James, or maybe it's Wilt Chamberlain, Dr. J. Uh, but we often kind of view who's the greatest, who's the best, because those are our heroes, those are our role models that we strive for. And, you know, there's a question, you know, that's always out there. You've probably been asked it who's the greatest? U.S. president of all time. And, you know, everybody has their opinions. Uh, I think a lot of times you get some of the stock answers of, well, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln. Uh, when we look at what Mount Rushmore has, has four of arguably the greatest in George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, Teddy Roosevelt. And while most of us don't necessarily have any aspiration to have our face carved on a hillside or to have some great monument erected to ourselves, we do have a desire to think that our influence on this world or on others is going to carry on after we pass on and the legacy that we have uh, will be passed on 
you know, we talk about it every Sunday. We're growing an apostolic legacy, and that is not something to be ashamed of, but it is something that we kind of look at uh, because we don't want to be forgotten. And Jesus kind of summed up that basic human desire in those past two scriptures uh, and really what we're striving for is to become a servant, is to become a minister. And, you know, true greatness, you know, when you look at even those men who are uh, on the Mount Rushmore, maybe not so much when you get into sports, uh, but those men, very humble, they were willing to put the needs of others uh, before themselves, they were willing to sacrifice their own reputation or their own lives for that of others. And a lot of that happened behind the scenes where, you know, we have the benefit of hearing about the accounts or reading, you know, from their diary, but most uh, probably didn't know the struggles that they went through, the sacrifices that they made, the stresses that they were under. And really, when we look at what Jesus exemplified as greatness, uh, it's very contrary to what popular culture shows today. It's, in fact, you would look and you'd say that it's in direct conflict with the way that Jesus behaved. And you may go as far as to say it's anti-Christ. And so, uh, you know, we start kind of seeing this example uh, as the disciples in Mark chapter 9 are walking along the road. Jesus makes their, they, they make their way and Jesus asks them, what were you guys talking about and arguing about back there on the road? And they were somewhat reluctant to expose maybe their pettiness or their humanity at the moment, but it said that, you know, they held their peace and they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. Um, I don't know about you. Obviously, they didn't know at the time uh, that they were walking with the greatest person to ever step foot on earth. Um, and so why would you talk about who's the second best? Uh, and, you know, especially when you have the history of Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, you know, who are you uh, to think that, hey, here's the greatest person to ever walk. There are all these great patriarchs before me. We're going to argue about who's the greatest. Uh, and maybe we can argue about who's the greatest uh, between the 12 of us. Um, but uh, Jesus asks them, and, you know, they, they don't really respond to it. And, you know, sometimes that is one of the best things that we can do when we get into that human moment of trying to measure ourselves up against greatness or strive towards that, or maybe we have a, a humanistic goal that we're trying, that we bring it before the Lord, 
and allow him to give us some perspective on, you know, what are we really evaluating here? Is the greatness amongst us really that important? Or is recognizing the greatness and the great presence that we're in more important? And uh, it's not, it is something that's born within us. All of us have a desire to succeed, to survive. Hopefully you have a desire to thrive. And, you know, that can be something as simple as, I want to try and get the best grades. I want to be the best athlete. Uh, I want to be the most beautiful, the most handsome. Um, and believe it or not, those are not childish thoughts. Uh, we get sucked into that even as adults in maybe we want a nice car or a big house or maybe we want a high-paying job. You know, those are the things that are going to define us as being great. And that's not immune even to us people of faith, a spiritual people, very spiritual. You know, we will often compare and say, man, they were a great preacher. Who's the best preacher? Who's the best singer that we've got? You know, we, we can even fall into that trap at times of comparing amongst ourselves. So it's not something excluded to just those that are out in the world, but it's something that we can be drawn into, and you can say, well, we, we walk with the Lord. These people were literally physically walking with the Lord and still fell into that trap of comparing themselves. And so um, I think probably one of the most surprising things to me, in that exchange, is you would think that Jesus would have gone into full correction and telling them, you know, how uh, stupid of a thought or argument this was. Um, but like a good father, he decided to flip that and use it as a teaching moment to maybe expound a bit upon uh, what lesson they should be learning, and then how could they potentially apply that in the future. Um, and I will tell you, you may say, wow, the Lord's given me a bunch of lessons, and, you know, I have a hard time learning them. I sometimes need the same lesson over and over. The disciples, you'll find out here shortly, fell into the exact same trap a chapter later. So, um, you know, sometimes it takes us more than one time of the Lord kind of correcting us gently uh, before we finally get that. But in, uh, in Mark, Jesus says, you know, if any man desires to be first, the same shall be last of all and a servant of all. And, you know, he goes on to illustrate his point a little bit further. He picks up a child and in Mark 9, 37, he says, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me, and whoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. And uh, it is 
important that we're learning. It's not about who. You could be serving the greatest fill-in-the-blank, boss, public servant. You could be serving the greatest president. You could be serving the greatest business owner. Uh, but at the end of the day, how you treat everybody is how you're going to be judged and how greatness is really, truly exemplified. And Jesus assured us that when we humbly receive the weakest and the lowliest in his name, uh, we are receiving him. And there's a reward tied to that. When we look in Matthew 6, 4, it says that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Jesus would go on later and talk about, you know, when you go and you boast about what you've done and the great things that you've done, you're receiving your reward. But when you go and you just do things out of the sight of others and you're doing them because you've got integrity and you're doing them because you have a desire uh, and you're doing it out of a spirit of humility, that the Lord blesses you. I can be a witness that the Lord has blessed me very much. And I could boast about what the Lord's done, not about how awesome I am, uh, because I'm not. All kind words aside, those are very nice and, and wonderful, but th that's not why I do the things so that somebody can get up here and say, wow, David's a great person. Uh, when I do my job at work, my boss appreciates the work that I do, but at the end of the day, I don't always enjoy my job. It's not always fun. I'm not always motivated to do the best that I can do, but I'm always reminded I'm not working for my boss. I'm not working for my coworkers. I'm not working for the company that employs me, but I'm working for the king of kings, and he deserves my best. Regardless of how menial the task is, I have, uh, in the past couple of months, we had a group kind of leave our organization, and they used to spend 40 hours a month going through a report, basically copying and pasting things uh, from one spreadsheet into a system and seeing if they could find something. It's been a long time since that's been part of my job description. And as somebody who, you know, doesn't so much do the work anymore, but more manages the work that's being done, uh, when they come and say, hey, you've got 24 hours to turn around this report, uh, somebody's got to get in there and do it. Um, and I could have very easily said, 
That's not in my job description. That's below my station. Um, you can find somebody else to do that. Uh, I chose not to do that. Uh, my boss felt that way. Uh, he was angry on my behalf that I was uh, stuck doing that. But at the end of the day, our willingness to serve and our willingness to be available regardless of what the task is, is what truly speaks to not necessarily my greatness, but his greatness, because I'm supposed to be reflecting him. Uh, and, you know, according to Jesus, you know, true greatness is showing kindness to others in a spirit of humility. Um, and it is something as simple as volunteering to teach Sunday school. Sunday school is not necessarily a glamorous job. Uh, it can cause you to bald prematurely. It can cause uh, pre-hypertension with your blood pressure. Um, it's not necessarily something that there are a lot of awards for, uh, but there's also, you know, not necessarily awards for the person who has the most calluses on their hands from work days at church. But it, it is really important for us to demonstrate faithfulness and serving even when we're not noticed. And I think one of probably the most significant acts of humility that you can engage in is when you respond to hate or anger with kindness and understanding, or when you choose to try and reconcile as opposed to retaliate against somebody. And, you know, you see this with Jesus turning the other cheek, you see him with his non-aggressive statements even while he's being drilled in trial, and greatness really comes down to having a servant's heart. Erwin um, Lutzer had a quote that said, how do you know you have a, a servant's heart? And you look at your reaction when you're treated like a servant. Have you ever been treated like you're unimportant or you're a dog or... I've been there. Have you ever felt used, abused? Is your response in that to be angry, bitter, jealous, that somebody else maybe doesn't get treated that way, it, or is your response that of a servant? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. And completing the job to the best of your ability. Uh, Jesus said in John 15, 18, if the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. You're in good company 
if somebody treats you like a dog or is mean to you. You're not alone. The greatest man alive was there. And, you know, most, I don't think, really realized how great he was uh, until afterwards. And, you know, a lot of times, I think we end up carrying a cross more than we actually end up wearing a medal or hoisting a trophy. Um, and so that concept of, hey, this person's great, they've won something, they're acknowledged in today's culture is completely different from the man who was murdered in a gruesome way, was humiliated and exposed, and yet still said, not my will, but thy will be done. And, uh, you know, who wants to be a servant? Is it anybody's dream or aspiration to be, I would love to be a slave. I would love to be a servant. I would love to be a housekeeper or a doorman or a butler, you know, in some mansion. I don't know that that's anybody's true if you had a dream job, I think you'd rather have, can I just be the person who occupies the mansion? Can I be the person who owns the nice, fast car? I don't necessarily want to do the job that they're doing and have all that work, but I would love to uh, enjoy those things. And, you know, many of us, when we were young, you know, we may have thought about being an astronaut or being a doctor or a lawyer, or we wanted to grow up and be the, the next best baseball player. Um, and unfortunately, unfortunately, life happens, and you end up kind of where you're at. And ultimately, we serve others by serving God. And as we follow him and submit ourselves to his word, he actually will direct our paths and put us in a place where our talents, our temperament, our services can actually benefit the kingdom and can benefit others. It is, I try and uh, encourage our youth, our high life folks, that if you have a skill at work, you should be using it at church. You should be using it to further the kingdom. And additionally, things that you learn at church, you should be taking to your work. If you know how to be a good example to a young person at church, why can't you be a good example to a coworker? If you know how to uh, make somebody's day at church or say an encouraging word, why can't you say that to somebody out in the community? And so those are, are things that we can take and we can learn. And, you know, as we get closer with the Lord, he maneuvers us in a way that we couldn't have even thought about. You know, how's, how the Lord can use us today is something that we would have never thought about four years ago, 10 years ago, 
20 years ago. And we can, when we allow kind of our human nature to creep in, and again, we'll look at the apostles who I would say are pretty good guys, pretty good examples. They are powerful men of God, yet they were men, they were human, and they start getting into, uh, they've argued in chapter 9, and then in chapter 10, they get into kind of another discussion where they're starting to prior, they want to prioritize their position above the service or the duty that they are going to undertake. Um, now, in Matthew 19, 28, Jesus had kind of promised and, and set up, you know, what their future is going to look like. Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye, ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. You would think that, hey, the Lord just told me I'm going to sit on a throne around him in heaven. If the Lord told you that, how many of you are like, wow, that's awesome. I feel great. I'm ready to go. I don't need anything else. But in Mark 10, verse 35, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. First off, coming before the Lord and saying, you should do the thing that I want you to do, uh, is, is not very humble. Uh, and again, they've had a lesson back in Mark chapter 9 where he gave them the example, and instead of just saying, you guys are stupid, why would you think that, and chastising them, he tried to teach them, and yet here they are a short time later, kind of repeating the same thing. And uh, Matthew, you know, also records that they had drafted their mothers into presenting their position. And it goes on to, to say that, you know, they wanted grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in glory. I'm already on a throne in heaven around Jesus, but now I want to be in the seats next to him. And Jesus' response is, you don't know what you're asking for. And, you know, many times I think we are guilty of only seeing the perk of you know, a position that somebody may have, and, you know, we may consciously or unconsciously overlook, you know, the sacrifices or the struggles 
that people may have to endure behind the scenes. You know, to hear, oh, I'm going to be on the throne, on a throne in heaven around Jesus is a great thing. What does that mean? I'm going to be a martyr. I'm going to be killed in a pretty gruesome way. And I'm going to have a very challenging remainder of my life. That's the part that we don't necessarily want to think about. Uh, And, you know, it it is, oh, I want to be large and in charge. You know, Siobhan is 11, going on 35. She's ready to be in charge. She desires to be in charge so much. And if she weren't 11, I would say you can have it. I'm ready, I'm ready to give it up. It is not what it's made out to be. Uh, and so, you know, we, we, even from a young age, we desire to be in charge. We want to be the one. I want to be my own boss. I want to make the rules. I want to live by my own rules. Um, and that's all fun and games until there's a crisis. You know, then you want to sit back and be like, I am so glad I'm not in charge. Look how terrible they're doing. Or, oh, man, I saw they did this thing. Look how terrible it turned out. I would have never done that. I would have, I would have probably done this other thing, and it would have been so successful. And, uh, you know, it's, it's always easy uh, to be there as the Monday morning quarterback. You think about how could somebody, how could the quarterback throw it right to the guy? Well, when people are going 20, 25 miles an hour running on a football field, what we see from 100 feet in the air with HD cameras is a little bit different than what they're seeing down there. Uh, And they're also not being chased by giants wanting to kill them. Uh, So decision-making is a little bit different on Monday. Uh, But sometimes... You know, we can uh, get frustrated in the process of, you know, building, if you want to say, your greatness, your individual greatness. And again, that, that shouldn't be a greatness or an admiration that you're looking for from people, but that opinion of God towards you. You know, at, at the end of my days, I want the testimony to be, Not only was the David from thousands of years ago a man after God's own heart, but the David post of today was a man after God's own heart. And that's what God's opinion was. God's opinion was that David was great. And so, you know, we are, uh, we can sometimes get out in front of maybe where we're ready to be, where we're mature enough to be, in the Lord, and I'm glad that he knows what we can handle. He says that he'll never put on us more than we can bear, and that he'll make a way of escape for us. He loves us too much to put us through something that will, that will destroy us. There's a difference in something that will destroy you and something that can destroy you. Job went through some things 
that could have destroyed him. But he didn't allow it. A lot of times we're presented with those same types of situations. And God knows, I'm so glad he's not bound by space and time. He knows when I'm ready to handle something. And he knows all the pressures that may be around and, oh, I'm going to delay this thing until we get him through this patch because he's about to break. Um, and God is always there making sure that we're ready for the station that we're going to assume. And sometimes we can get out in front of his plans. We can be maybe overambitious and you can end up in a situation that not only can it destroy you, but you allow it to. And then you can never come back from it. And it is challenging to think, oh, I'm ready to do this. 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 And usually when you finally get to that point where you obtain that thing that you were looking for, or that you thought that you were ready for, you are actually ready for it. Uh, my boss at work, he kind of operates under the premise of you can, you're gonna do the job that's one or two stations above you right now. And A, what that, that's going to do a couple of things. A, they're going to get things done at a cheaper price <laughs> than the person. Uh, but B, they're also, you're going to learn under a covering and under guidance so that when you take on that responsibility, there's a, a covering that's there of the person that's above you. And when you finally get to the point where that is your job and that is your duty, it's not something that's overwhelming. So I may be doing the job of a senior manager or director as a manager, and if I was just thrown into that and said, hey, you gotta learn this and you're responsible for doing this day one, oh, you didn't know what you were doing? Man, I really regret promoting you. Or would you rather, I'm prepared, I've been trained, I've been, God has put me in a place, and then I'm inserted in there, and that is, it's not a stressful transition. It's something that I can excel at. The Lord does that for us here in the kingdom. If we'll let him, if we don't focus on the position, but we focus on the attitude. Uh, unfortunately, James and John kind of upset the other 10 disciples because they heard what the conversation was in Mark 10, 41. It says, and when the 10 heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. And the Amplified, it uses indignant. So they were angry, they were annoyed, they felt like James and John were being unfair, and 
really their response was more like, man, why didn't I think of that? Not that what they're asking for is bad, but darn it, they beat me to the punch. I should have asked to be on his right or left hand. And again, this presents Jesus with a prime opportunity uh, to share uh, that kingdom principle and kind of display that, you know, this is not something, what you're striving for is the model of the world. You're wanting power, you're wanting rule, you're wanting authority, and that is very different from the pathway for God's kingdom. It's not flexing your muscles or stomping on anyone who gets in your way. And in fact, in Mark 10, verse 43, he kind of talks about that. And then he says, but it, it's not going to be that way with you. I don't want you acting that way. We're, we're going to act a different way. And so, just like in Mark chapter 9, here in Mark chapter 10, he tries to present another teaching moment with them. We read the verses in Mark 10, 43 and 44. And then Jesus uses, you know, even his own life as an example of what kingdom service is. When we look at verse 45 here, it said, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. And it is... We have this good news, we have this wonderful principle, we have this spirit that's instilled inside of us, and the, one of the easiest, simplest ways that we can serve others is actually by sharing the gospel, telling them about Jesus, telling them about hope. There's no hope out in the world, and as much as people may recoil or feel like church or anything like that is not for them, surprisingly, when you engage in some type of edifying conversation with them or they see how you behave and you react in situations versus how they're reacting and feeling, that's a witness, that's a testimony. You're serving them because you're not allowing the situation of the hour to dictate your response. And making a difference really starts with just an individual level. It doesn't require being up in the front, being in charge of anything. And probably one of the greatest illustrations of servanthood that Jesus put on or that any other example that may exist is found in John 13 where Jesus is at the Last Supper. He's sharing a meal. He stands up, takes off his outer garment, and wraps a towel, which would have been, you know, the typical attire of a servant in a household. And he pours water in a basin, stoops down, and he starts washing 
the feet of his disciples. And you can think about the state of men's feet in modern times. Now imagine in biblical times what, what that may have been. And, you know, that is a very humbling experience for somebody to get down. Here is somebody who, at the very least, you recognize is a great teacher. Maybe you haven't come to the full realization that this is the Messiah, that this is the Son of God, that this is God manifested in flesh, but at the very least you recognized this was a, a very intelligent teacher, and this was well below his station at the time. And, you know, Peter, a fisherman, says, you're not going to wash my feet. And, you know, he didn't really get what was going on at the time. But this was a lot more than just about cleaning feet. This was, I'm preparing, I'm showing you that I'm willing to do this, which you may think is the lowest form of servitude, but I'm getting ready to do something that's even more, and that's to lay down my life for my brother so that you can have a pathway to join me in eternity. And so as Jesus makes his way around the table, he puts his coat back on, and then he asks him, do you know what I've just done for you? And I guess one of the interesting things is in John chapter 13, there's no recorded response that the disciples have to that question. You know, are they still shocked and bewildered by what just happened? Are they, you know, maybe regretting all this bickering that they've had going on and, and how selfish they were? Are they just shocked? You know, what was going through their mind? And Jesus answers them in John 13, 14, and he says, if I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Why is that significant? That means we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all here ministering to one another. We're all here serving one another. And we have the example from the very head of our faith, the very cornerstone of our faith, was willing to stoop down and be a servant to each one of us. And eventually... They grasped that message. Was it at the crucifixion? Was it at the resurrection? Was it in the upper room? I'm sure for all of them, it was at different times. But at the end of it, they knew, they learned the lesson, they exemplified the lesson to the point that they were willing to follow in his footsteps and lay down their life for the gospel. And uh, at the end of the day, in Philippians 2, 5 through 7, 
This is what it means to be a Christian. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we're supposed to be exemplifying as a Christian to be Christ-like. And that is really the core uh, or the, the foundation of kingdom principles. Serving others, being a minister to others, being willing to be used as a vessel for the Lord. I challenge each of you, I challenge myself, find a new way to be a servant. Find a new way to be used of the Lord. Lord bless you. That next verse in Philippians says, and he humbled himself. You know, that's who's got to take charge. You got to grab this old boy and say, all right, I got to, I've got to humble myself and be obedient. Amen? <clears throat> Hallelujah. Let's stand. Appreciate the word. Appreciate the word of the Lord. And it's so true in this hour. <clears throat> you know, they would tell you that a leader has to have some ability to lead, to be a king, to be an executive, to give people orders. And uh, I realize, as Brother David said, your boss will say, I want you to move up the next step and take charge so that I know you're ready. But you can do that and still maintain a spirit of humility. And you can do it and still maintain a humble attitude. And I, I, uh, I appreciate the word. Let's Let's just raise our hands. Thank him for his many blessings to us. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your many blessings. We pray that you will bless, strengthen, touch. Hallelujah. In the name that is above every name. Mr. Susan.